Welcome back to the show, friends. Today, I will be recapping a recent trip that I took with six other men to Yosemite National Park, where we spent seven days alone in nature. It was a wonderful trip, and I will be recapping the seven biggest lessons and takeaways from that experience. And at the end of the story time, I'll be sharing a crazy story about the table at the top of the mountain, the butterfly, and the text message that I got with no cell phone service. So make sure you stick around for that because it'll blow your bloody mind. And then, of course, we have a caller into the show who has a question today all about using plants as medicine, herbs and ointments and things. And we have a conversation around that. It's a fun one, particularly for you nature lovers or you aspiring nature lovers. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Hello friends, welcome back to the show. Today, we are going to be discussing my seven biggest lessons from seven days alone in nature. Well, it wasn't fully alone because this was part of a retreat that I host, I co-host with my friend called Ryan, and we run retreats on behalf of something called Origins, and this one was a men's vision quest. Now, a quest is a ritual initiation process. It's a rite of passage, if you will. So I think we'll start there like, what is that and why is it important? And what are we doing doing this? And then we'll unpack the lessons and, and tell you some stories from being over there in Yosemite National Park and very high up on a, a trail called Chilnawana Falls, which was very beautiful. If you've been seeing social media recently from any kind of footage that's uh, shown from that place, you'll see that the waterfalls are out of this world. They had epic rainfall and they've got huge snow melts. So the waterfalls are dramatic and big and nature is in full bloom out there on the West Coast. So we took six gentlemen out into Yosemite National Park and initiated the vision quest. So in we've talked about this on the past um in the past on the podcast with guests like Aaron Alexander and this important thread that, that there's there needs to be some kind of chosen rite of passage in a person's life in order to initiate them if you will into the fullness of who they might be to kind of step up and really become an adult to choose some adversity a trial a tribulation something that's difficult to go through where they meet themselves they meet their potential and on the other side of it they come back more whole, more integrated, a little more clear. And that's what a vision quest is. I, I this is practiced by many cultures worldwide, and there's different initiations from different cultures. But the vision quest itself is inbuilt into the name. You are going out there into nature to be alone, to quest for your vision. And you might say that your vision is your mission or your vision is your purpose. You are going to look for answers that are sometimes hard to find in the busyness of life because we have so much distraction and so much time that we, 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 we don't allow ourselves the space necessary sometimes to really sit and kind of ponder that. You know, why, why am I here? Why did I choose this? What, what do I want to get out of life? What kind of life 
do I want to leave? How, how am I going to leave this world better than I found it? What is my purpose? So a vision quest is just that. We, we went out there for seven days. The trip was eight days, but we were seven days up on the trails because we needed to, A, hike to our spot, which was quite a brutal hike. We ended up, uh, you know, setting base camp around seven and a half thousand feet of elevation. And we had a really strenuous hike up there. We packed all of our gear in. So we had these 70 pound packs on our back and we went up, up, up and up, just crawling Chilnawana Falls until we found a spot that felt like we could set up base camp. And then we had to do a couple of days worth of work, preparatory work, you know, to really kind of dive in. This was a men's vision quest. So we were doing a lot of uh, work around men's mental health and what it means to be a man. So we were playing with masculine and feminine dynamics and talking about the the relationships and roles of what it, what it means to be a man, what, what's our relationships like with the men in our lives, uh, what's our relationships like with our father, if we want to become fathers or our fathers, how, how do we want to show up in the world, how do we want to show up in our relationships, and also the feminine, like what's our relationship like to the feminine in our life, how do we want to be good husbands, good partners, how do we want to treat the world, how do we actualize the feminine and creative side within ourselves, and a lot of this kind of time to share and bond over a shared challenge, which is the hike and the play that we had out there. And we roughhoused and we got in the icy rivers with the snow melt and did cold plunges and we did breath works and we built fires together and we stripped it all back. You know, we stripped life back. We made it simple again so we could connect and chat and we prompted these conversations to help the men start to figure out why am I really here and what do I want to get out of this? And then the vision quest itself starts with a ceremony in the morning where we kind of gathered. We've been talking a lot about intentions, what we want to get out of this. And then we sent them on their merry ways for three days and three nights alone in the national park. And they had no food. It was a fasted. That's a, a core tenet of the vision quest is you are trying to remove as much distraction as possible. So there's no phone, there's no technology. There's no creature comforts. We're even taking away shelter to a large degree. The men that went out there did not have tents. They had tarps and we, we taught them tarp crafting so they could set something up between trees. We had to teach them how to tie knots and build a tarp that could shelter them from the weather. They had sleeping pad and a, and a, a sleeping um, a sleeping mat and a sleeping bag that they could kind of find some solitude in. But for the most part, it was very stripped back. We were removing community. We were removing connection. We were removing food. We were removing creature comforts. And we were forcing these men to be very still with themselves and alone, in a sense, uh, alone with nature so that they could find the answers to the questions about life that they were pondering or they were curious about. And it's really, you know, it's it's like the arc of the hero's journey. It's the myth popularized by Joseph Campbell. There's, there's, there's something that we all want to do in life. And one of the early steps on the hero's journey is you get the call. And the call is kind of like the the universal telephone rings, I guess, and, and it's asking you to answer, you know, do you want to step into a life that's a little more intentional? And if you're brave enough to answer that question or that call, you pick up the phone and you say, yes, I, I want something a little bit more. And, and there the adventure starts. And there's various other steps on that. You know, you meet the mentors, you meet the tribe, you also meet your rivals or your rivals are there to keep you rising up. And these rivals might not actually be bad guys in your life. They might be meeting the parts of yourself that are that are difficult and that are sticky. And it, it, it culminates in this kind of battle of the innermost cave. One of my favorite quotes is, the cave you fear to enter has the treasure you need the most. And the vision quest is, is that. It's entering into this cave, the, the cave that many of us fear to enter, which is 
Imagine being alone with myself for three days and three nights with nothing to do to distract myself from myself, you know, to truly be alone. I can't read a book. I've got a pen and paper if I want to journal. But for the most part, I am just there to meet my mind and to meet my potential and to face the things that I have done in life and, and want to do in life. And on the other side of that culminating event is the return home. The hero's journey continues the journey back, right? You come if you get into that cave, if you find the treasure you seek the most, the wisdom, then what do you do with it, right? You want to bring it back. You want to bring it back into your life, into your communities, into your relationships. So on the back end of this, um, you know, three-day uh, vision quest, we also had a couple of days of integration work where we spent just a lot of time in council, a lot of time sitting around the fire, asking the men what they went through, what they experienced, what they really learned, and what are they going to do with that now? You know, the ceremony ends when the ceremony I'm sorry, the ceremony begins when the ceremony ends in many ways. And as they finished the quest, they just did the hard work. These were men that have done a lot in their life. They're, you know, professionals, they're, they're fit, they've challenged themselves. And to a T, each man said, that was the hardest thing I've ever done, to actually do nothing and to be alone. And they'd accomplished and completed the ceremony. But now the real ceremony of life begins in terms of, okay, now I've, I've got this quest. I have this vision. I went out there. I, I found it. Now, how do I become the kind of person that gets to live that life, you know, to be my potential? Because to be who I want to be requires that I sacrifice who I am. And that's the journey of a lifetime. So we had this whole experience and, and Ryan and I, the, the, the co-host of the retreat, also had our experiences. We weren't necessarily out there on our own vision quest, but we had our own days and the whole trip was very much alone in nature with nothing to do. And with that comes a lot of lessons and a lot of time to think and a lot of time to reflect. And what we want to do today is share some of those things that I think are very valuable from that chosen alone time in nature, something that I think we could all do with a little bit more of, honestly, as we've removed ourselves from nature and gotten into these wonderful high-tech lives. But what have we lost and what are we missing out on because of that? And this is fresh on my mind and there's a whole lot that moved and a lot of stories and a lot of power in these. So I wanted to try my best to share some of the biggest takeaways and lessons. So the number one lesson from this entire trip was you need a plan and you also need to remain adaptable and flexible because as soon as you have a plan well, you need the plan right you need to know where you're going if we did have just turned up there with these six guys and decided we were going to wing it we wouldn't have known where we were going we would have got ourselves lost and in trouble so you need a plan and this whole trip forced us from day one to stay flexible because the original trail that we was going to go on got closed because of flooding. And then the second trail we were going to go on, we couldn't make it. And then it was the third trail that we found. And then we got to the National Park, Yosemite National Park, and the trail that we were going to go on was closed due to the snowmelt because we couldn't cross a certain river. So we had all of these plans. And if you get too rigidly attached to the plan, when life throws you the curveball, you kind of freak out. You, you have to have this ability to adapt and overcome to think on your feet because life is very, very good at surprising you. Like you need to know where you're going so you don't get too far lost, but you also need to remain open to the possibility that it's going to look nothing like what you thought it was going to look like. And that's the nature of a ceremonial kind of event a lot of the time is you don't get what you want, you get what you need. 
And this is part of the experience. Like we didn't get what we wanted because we couldn't hit our A, B, or C trail. And we got our D trail. And it actually turned out to be amazing. And I think we all agree that it couldn't have been more perfect, but we needed to be able to adapt and overcome. We needed to be able to A, firstly, talk to the group in a way that commanded some sense of leadership and like, we've got this, you know, everything is figure outable. This is what we're going to do. We adapt and overcome. And it's a core tenet of, you know, masculine leadership, right? Like things aren't always going to go to plan. What's important now? Do I freak out and say, oh my God, this is crazy. It's all, it's all ruined. Or do I just take a breath and say, okay, well, this is challenging. And what's important now? Because it's not spiraling. It's not blaming and complaining. It's adapting and it's overcoming. So lesson number one was with us every step of the way, because every step of the way presented a new challenge and a chance to either spiral into chaos or adapt and overcome. So you need a plan in life. You need to know where you're going, but you also need to remain flexible and you need to develop this skill to think on your feet be on your toes and remain open to the possibility that it's not going to look anything like what you thought it was going to look. And that's okay because you might not get what you want, but you will get what you need. The second lesson from life is something I pondered a lot up there, which is that life does not need a coach. And this is an interesting statement from a coach. I spend my life coaching and educating and sharing and connecting and telling stories. But when I was up there and just observing nature, I realized that things in nature um, don't need a coach. The, the, the animals don't need a coach to remind them what to do or who they are or what they want. Life just lifes effortlessly. All things in nature kind of have an innate role built into them and they execute on it perfectly. Except for humans. We seem to have gotten lost in some way, shape or form. And I believe that we each have this connection to a unique guidance system within us that, that knows, that just knows. It knows how to be, what to do from the micro to like how to think and what to eat to the macro of what we came here to do and our connection to people and places and things and nature. And it was very interesting because it got me thinking about this further removal away that we've done from nature might be our greatest mistake in a way. And that maybe then our saving grace is trying to integrate nature back into our lives more fully. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to all abscond from reality completely and go and live in the woods. But as we've increasingly moved into suburban areas and cities, further removed ourselves from nature, which is even an interesting statement, because how can you remove yourself from nature? right? I've always been fascinated by this idea that a lot of indigenous cultures don't have a word for nature because they don't see themselves as separate from nature. It's just home, right? It's just where they live. But now us as modern humans, we need to take trips. We need to go on vision quest on the West Coast to find nature again. We need to take weekend breaks to go and be in nature. And we all feel that. We're all called to it for the most part. And maybe if we can start to try and integrate this back into our lives, maybe the answers become clearer. Maybe we don't need so much coaching. Maybe we don't need so many books and podcasts. Maybe we don't need so much friction on living life the way that maybe we could or should because nature knows and you're an extension of nature. And the things that are in nature and still live in nature, they know and they seem quite clear on that path. And that maybe there is some ancient wisdom in that that reminds us that we need to prioritize a little bit more of that in our lives. And if we're stuck or we're looking for questions right now, that nature might hold the answers with its silent wisdom and its kind of time-tested and ancient 
wisdom. Lesson number three is all about choosing solitude. I think there's a very big difference between being lonely and choosing aloneness. And loneliness is a sense of consistently feeling alone, regardless of how much interaction you have, either socially or emotionally. You might be around a bunch of people, but there's something in you that feels like I'm just lonely. And it's not a nice thing. You know, the, the, the hardest thing for humans is we're highly social creatures. We saw this over the past couple of years with the pandemic and the isolation and the effects on mental health. We know that about the hardest thing you can do to a human is isolate them, put them in solitary confinement. It's quite clear that we're very social creatures and we need people and we need connection and community and, and, and friends and nervous systems to be around. But there's a way in which you can choose aloneness to be alone, but not feel lonely because it was a choice. Like you chose solitude. You chose this as a celebratory act, if you will, as something that I'm actually going to choose to be alone in nature, to connect with myself, to find myself, to redevelop that relationship. Because we always think about quelling loneliness by everything out there. You know, I need to find a new friend group. I'm going to join the gym or I'm going to, you know, start doing, um, you know, pottery class or whatever it is. And those are wonderful things. But I think a question that maybe we need to ask too is what, what's my relationship like to myself, you know, and how can I choose that aloneness so I can really rekindle that relationship to myself? Because I think for most of us, again, we just get a little too wrapped up in life, you know, a little too busy. We can kind of sever the cord from ourself uh, and we, we lose ourselves in the process. You know, I've said before that we're not human doings. We are human beings. But if all we do is do because we do the work and we do the life and we do the self-development and we do the gym and we do, 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 where's the space to be? To just be, you know, to just be a human, the human being that you are. And I think choosing solitude is a wonderful way to do that. So just differentiate that loneliness that you might be feeling, which needs some work to build these networks into your life and to find these people, but also that you can quell a lot of this feeling of loneliness by rekindling that relationship to yourself and choosing aloneness. And the best way to do this in my experience is to choose aloneness and choose solitude in nature because nature is returning home. It's funny to me when we were up there and we were talking about the animals and the wildlife, because we saw rattlesnakes and eagles and birds. And there's this common trope that we say as humans, when we enter into nature, like we're in their home. So we must treat it with respect. And I fully agree with that, but it's not just their home. It's our home too. It's as much our home as it is their home. We're just smart enough, apparently, that we've moved away from it and built these concrete blocks and jungles that we live inside of. But when we go back to it, there's something that happens to you that remembers like, ah, this is my home too. And I have as much of a right to be here. And if I treat it with that level of respect, that the nature that so many people get terrified of, oh my goodness, there were burrs out there and there's rattlesnakes and oh, creepy crawlies. That's not there to hurt you. It doesn't want to hurt you at all. It's just nature naturing and you belong there as well. So that's how you can choose aloneness. That's how you can rekindle this relationship. And maybe that feeling of loneliness that I feel in my life can be soothed a little bit, allows me to be a little bit more of who I am and who I want to be 
which may be a funny thing will happen if that's the case where you will start to then attract the kind of people in your life that will further facilitate that process and make you feel like a more integrated and connected human. Number four, lesson number four, is that presence is power. I believe truly that presence is your human superpower. I think that there's really no greater flex on this earth than a regulated nervous system. Uh, yeah, fancy watches are cool and, you know, really nice cars and healthy, strong bodies. Like, those are all cool if you're into that stuff. But the greatest flex is a regulated nervous system because it can't be bought. It needs to be earned and earned in a very particular way, not really earned through blood, sweat, and tears and smashing it in the gym, not earned through putting in 60-hour work weeks and working overtime and hustling. There's a time and a place for all of that. But the regulation of a nervous system that's in presence is earned differently. It's earned through this whole overarching theme here of connection and stillness. And when you can be present, life has a tendency to be a lot easier, dare I say, a lot more it just is what it is. And that presence affords you a superpower that can turn otherwise mundane moments into experiences that are blissful and magnificent and wonderful. And when you are present with another person, those, again, mundane conversations become spectacular. The memories that you can create and the permission slip that you can give to other people to also feel the same way. Like your presence grants another person the permission slip to also be present. We forget a lot of the time when we connect with someone, when we're talking with them, even, you know, surface level interactions like being at the store, that our words are how we think we communicate, but our nervous systems are also communicating with people a lot. The way our animal bodies speak, our eyes and our tone of voice and our body language is all manifestations of that. And when you can be more regulated in yourself and you can flex that, you know, just calm nervous system that's present, you will start to see people around you soften into that too. When you're anxious and you're a little uptight, the people around you get anxious and uptight. You felt this. You felt this. You've been in a room where the energy's weird. And you've been in other places where you're like, this is awesome. These are my people. This is my place. And I think one of the places that you get to enter into the training ground, if you will, of practicing presence and honing that superpower is in nature because nature allows you to be present. When you've removed all the distractions, you've gone far away from life where your cell phones don't even work anymore if you wanted them to, where you chose to leave the bucks behind and you chose to actually just be present and practice that, then this blanket of awareness changes. It becomes a very one-pointed process of I just do one thing at a time the myth of multitasking falls away. Oh, it's tend the fire now. And now it's listen to the birds. And now it's watch the trees. And now it's, oh, I notice myself breathing. And the days kind of seem long in one sense because there's nothing to do to busy ourselves with. And in another sense, they pass by incredibly fast because it's just one moment that merges into the next that's not interrupted by, I've got to run over here and my calendar just dinged at me and this email to do. And I know that's the world we live in and that's the life that we live. But I think when we practice these things intentionally by taking breaks, going on a weekend trip and being alone, that we get to bring some of that presence back and blanket it over our busy, high-tech and stressful lives in a way that we can manage this uh, a little more 
flowy. And I think that's what we all want. We want flow. We want balance. We don't want to move through life hectic and crazy. We want some peace. We want some uh, presence. I think that's what we all want. So presence is your superpower. Building on that, lesson number five is that boredom is a privilege. Boredom is a privilege. We see boredom as something to be avoided at all costs. Whether we consciously think about that or not, we just do it. This idea of boredom is, uh, I don't want to be bored. Why, why be bored in a world with hyperpalatable foods and distractibility at the edge of our fingertips? You will see now in any situation, pretty much wherever you go, if a person has to just be still for a moment, checkout line at the grocery store, for example, they will almost certainly be on their phone. In any moments that we find ourselves where we could otherwise allow ourselves to be bored, have the privilege of boredom, we usually distract. And because life is practice, we get then trained and hardwired for distractibility. We just are constantly all over the place. You see the explosions in diagnoses around ADHD and things like this. I think there's a lot of this going up. And that boredom is a privilege because boredom is the birthplace of your genius. When you choose boredom, when you choose all of this stillness that we're talking about, you really just get fed up of thinking. There's nothing to do. Eventually, the mind stops doing its incessant attempts to distract you. And because you have no external way to facilitate that process, you are left being bored. And your nervous system has to get used to that. So many of us, I experienced this when I went out there for the first couple of days, my nervous system was a little fidgety, a little bit like, okay, what do I do now? And then I'd have to remind myself, oh, there's nothing to do now. That was the whole purpose of this trip. And I practice these things in daily life and I still get suckered into the trap. You know, it's the same bad trip for all of us. We, we, we just, again, we're, we're doing constantly. But after a couple of days, the nervous system comes down. What felt like boredom turns into bliss. What felt like boredom turns into this really creative space of thinking about things slightly differently. And uh, I heard Wim Hof have a quote about this once, and I really liked it. He said, boredom is nothing more than man's alienation from nature. I thought that was really cool. And he went on to build on that. He didn't necessarily just mean that boredom is a consequence of moving away from nature. He also said that boredom is man's alienation from nature in the sense that we've lost the inquisitive, curious uh, mind for the nature of self. The fact that how could you be bored in this body? How could you ever be bored pondering the mystery of life? Like, oh, I get to breathe this invisible thing that keeps me alive all the time. And I get to move if I want to, and I can go outside and put my bare feet in the grass. That boredom is, is a new construct. I don't think our ancestors were bored. I think they were probably very happy to sit around. And from the outside looking in from a modern perspective, oh, those people must be so bored because they can't scroll TikTok or Instagram. But maybe not. Maybe boredom is a privilege in this hyper-distracted world. And maybe by choosing it, you can tap into your birthplace of genius and you'll find some answers there or just some quality of mind that you otherwise won't find in the scroll hall and you won't find by being that human doing. Lesson number six is that the simple life is the good life, right? Kiss, keep it simple, silly. Simplicity scales and fancy fails. And we have a really fancy life, all these techs and gadgets and you name it. We've got it all. It's really cool, right? There's spaceships and flying cars and all that cool stuff. 
but there's something about simplicity that's hard to beat. The old cliche, the best things in life are free, is true. And that most of the best things in life are not actually things at all. They're, they're what I've been talking about. It's presence, it's connection, it's community, it's boredom reframed into something beautiful. And the, the choosing of simplicity, the choosing to simplify, like going out and doing a vision quest, taking a weekend trip where you simplify and strip life way back to its nuts and bolts. You take away the beds, you take away your chili pads, you take away the air conditioning, you take away the meals, you take away the convenience of hot water, you take away the showers, you take away the cars, you take away the tech, simplify, simplify, right down to the bare bones of what's left, which is a human being in nature, sleeping on the ground, with a tent separating him from the big, bad, scurry world, that not only is it wonderful to experience that, but it enhances your gratitude for the things when you come back into life. Like when you come back in, the things that you and I both take for granted on a day-to-day -day level, the hot shower is the most wonderful thing you've ever experienced. You know, seven days, eight days out there with no hot shower and bathing and washing yourself with a little cup in an icy cold lake to then step into a modern hot shower with soap and warmth is like, ah, oh, this is the best thing ever. Why do I take this for granted so much? Sleeping on a bed, temperature controlled rooms. So it kind of reminds us. It's the remembering again that it's okay to have these things. I'm not saying you need to be, you know, um, a monk that has no pleasures and joys in life. But I do think it's good to microdose this stuff. I do think it's good to go back and remind ourselves that actually we do have it really good. But it doesn't feel really good because of the hedonic adaptation that occurs as a human. We just get used to things very, very quickly. And what otherwise would be wonderful has become mundane. And only when we remove ourselves from it and we simplify, do we see the brilliance and the beauty in simplification? And it enhances all the things we really have to be grateful for when we come back into the modern life with a bit more of an awareness and a presence around how we want to manage these things or how we just want to practice gratitude. Because gratitude is a practice, a practice, in my opinion, that runs deeper than I'm going to write three things down that I'm grateful for every day. That's a wonderful start. But the best way to practice gratitude for the biggest gift in life, which is the gift of life, is to enjoy it. And I think that you don't need to write that down. I think you just need to live life fully with an embodied sense of gratitude that you feel and enjoyment the a remembrance that whilst life can be extremely stressful and hard and there's relationship stuff going on and money worries and body composition issues and the global threats that we face and oh my god is the world gonna collapse etc etc that there's also a choice in that that we can enjoy it this crazy ride that we're on that we get to experience that we were given this gift of life and that the best thing that we could do in order to honor that is to enjoy it so simplify, because simplicity is the way we remind ourselves of all of that. It's how we really remember. So we can truly be grateful for all the things that we do have to be grateful for, because the truth of all that that I just said may ring true for you, but it's still a gift. It's still a wonderful opportunity that you get to experience this. And I think if we remember and we go back to nature a little bit and we try to simplify, that that really hits home and can land in us. And... Lesson number seven, last but not least, is to surrender to the mystery. To go with the flow of life sometimes 
in the areas that cannot be explained by the rational mind. That there needs to be some kind, in my experience at least, of a connection to something bigger and greater than ourselves. And that when we go back to nature, where there's nothing to do other than to be with yourself and eventually end up talking to the trees and listening to the sounds of the whispers of the winds and the roaring of the rivers and the cries of the eagles and the rustling of the leaves, that you are reminded that this wonderful, crazy life is a big bloody mystery. Nobody really knows what's going on. And anybody that tells you they know the capital T truth, you should probably take with a grain of salt. But it is a mystery. And where did we come from before we were here? And where do we go after we check out? All of that is wonderful. And I think a lot of people get scared by the magnitude of it all. But if we just reframed it as this giant gift and experiment that we live in, we can really surrender to that. We can see that this thing that we're doing, this life that we're doing is bigger than ourselves. And it's something that instills a great sense of richness and meaning into life to trust, to lean into however you connect with that thing whether you want to call it God or the creator or the great mystery or whether your God is nature, but to have something, to have something that is big and mysterious and you can go to and turn to for guidance and answers. And this is what we saw, I saw firsthand, but it's what we saw in all of the men on this retreat. They came back with stories that broke the rational brains, which is the definition of an initiation. I say that an initiation is when everything you believe to be true yesterday is no longer true today. And that's how a lot of these men felt. The way they fundamentally saw the world and saw themselves was completely different after going through this experience because their point of view changed, their perspective changed because they went through something that, again, the, the, the more kind of modern mind, the scientific materialist mind of what exists can is only what we can weigh and measure and track is kind of broken when you surrender to the mystery in a place where the mystery speaks in nature. And it can sound woo-woo and it can sound strange for people sometimes until you've experienced it because feeling is believing. And when you feel something, you've experienced it and you've been out there in nature and you feel the magnitude of life this juxtaposition that you are just a tiny little blip in the cosmic giggle and nothing that you do really matters. And at the same time, everything that you do matters so much because it's why you're here. It's, it's mind-blowing in a sense. And it really just gives you a different way of looking at life. And I wanted to finish that surrender to the mystery part with a, with a story that I experienced on my solo day which is I was, the men were off on their quest and I chose my day to go and do my solo. And I was meandering up the hill because I was just going where I felt called to go, not necessarily listening to the mind or trying to reach a new summit for my ego to be like, yeah, I went to the highest point, but because I felt called to go up there. And as I was going up there and I, I interacted with animals that I otherwise wouldn't have seen, I saw things, an eagle roaring overhead, and I ended up having a beautiful cold plunge at the top of this view that was just magnificent. It was so like painstakingly beautiful, just so rugged and so untouched and just a reminder of like, wow, this, 
this earth is so beautiful and having a really profound experience. And as I was coming back down the hill after laying naked on a rock for a while, because you can be naked out there, there's no people. So sunbathing and just grounding and sitting on a big rock and feeling all of that energy coming back down the hill, um, missing my family a lot. You know, it was one of the big, big challenges for me on this trip was to be away from my wife and my son for eight days. And I'd been thinking about them a lot. And it's, this is not a trip where you can FaceTime at the end of the day. It's your incognito mode. There's no opportunity to chat to them, even if you wanted to. So as I'm coming back down to the hill and heading back to base camp, I just had this image of my son saying, I'm proud of you. And in his own little voice, like I heard it, we, uh, raising our son like any parent are doing and it's you you know that feeling when you see your kids doing something and you see them really working hard for something and they accomplish it and it's so wonderful and we get all excited and pumped up and high fives and I'm proud of you and he echoes it back he says I'm proud of you I'm proud of you and I remember hearing that and I remember it just hit me so deep like so deep in the in the, the chest man and in the gut and it almost floored me at how powerful that was a culmination of getting towards the end of this journey and missing them so much. And when I was feeling that and I was in that, getting that little, what I would call a God nod from whatever, the great mystery of remembering and feeling that and just feeling the magnitude of the responsibility of being a parent and the healing that comes from being a parent and the wonderful gift of life of being that was so profound that it really shook me and it caused me to have a release you know an emotional release something that a lot of us struggle with you know the, the the tears letting the tears flow which is interesting in and of itself right we're the only animal that cries tears and we feel like it's something we can't do especially around other people it makes us feel really uncomfortable to show that 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 vulnerability and this is one of those things that just cracked me open. There was no holding it back. You know, it was a, it was, it was a cry that I needed to have. And it was, it was painful at the same time as it was, it was wonderful. And just because I was in that, I was feeling it. I decided I just needed to sit down and process. And as I rounded this corner on a rock, somebody had built a, a wonderful table up there made out of stones and they put, you know, pine cones on it and kind of decorated it. And it was clear that somebody had been here before and it was just the perfect place to, sit my butt down and be all up in my fields with the snot running down my face, etc. So I did. And in that moment, I took the things out of my pockets and I laid them on the table and I was just kind of breathing through it and missing them and seeing his little face and being so happy and grateful and oh, I can't wait to get home to see him. And in that moment, a butterfly landed on the table, which was very interesting because my son is called Jai and he's always been obsessed with butterflies. And at that moment where I needed it the most, the butterfly landed. And it stuck around for a couple of seconds and then it flew away. And then something else even crazier happened. I've been up there at that point for five days, not a lick of cell phone service. And my phone lights up and the screen comes on and I see two text messages from babe. That's my wife, babe, babe, babe. And I open them up and they load and it's two pictures of Jai playing at the playground and a message that says, we love you and we miss you so much. Can't wait to see you. And then the signal went away before I could react, before I could send the message and it never came back. But in that moment when I needed it the most, when I was crying for me and for him and I was just in the thing, in the feels, that the great mystery, the God nod, whatever it was, 
was like, here's a little nudge. And it was exactly what I needed at the time where I needed it the most. And I think that if we surrender ourselves to those possibilities, because that makes no sense. It makes no sense why that would happen at that moment, but it happened. And there we go again, that feeling is believing. And if we maybe surrender ourselves to that too, to extend the offering or the ask for help, send me a sign, help me out, uh, that the universe maybe has your back, you know, maybe more than you realize because you are an extension of it. And these things can happen more freely in nature. It's, it's harder maybe for these things to happen in the busyness of running around in life and doing all of our things. And I think that it's a potential reminder for ourselves that we can go back to nature to experience all of this, to, you know, the adaptability and thinking on your toes, the simplification, the boredom, the presence as your power, but the overarching reminder that we're, we're all here for a reason. And I believe that I don't believe that the nihilistic view that nothing matters and whatever. So just chase hedonism and it's not going to matter. So who cares, live whatever you want. And it's all about cheap dopamine and pleasure is a thing that really instills a lot of hope in a person to move forward and live life in an intentional way. And I can say that as spending the first 25 years of my life, very disconnected, very not spiritually connected at all or religious, just kind of like angry, nihilistic atheist. And my life now as a slightly different version and updated version because I've had these experiences is so much more rich. It's so much more meaningful. It's, it gives me something to hold on to when the going gets tough uh, and times get hard that I trust now that this is happening for me, not to me, that there's a plan in this and that, that life is asking me to meet it in that space and show up as my best self and move through it so we can expand and grow and evolve consciousness together because maybe that's what we are, right? Just consciousness exp experiencing and expanding. So always remember to surrender to the mystery. Life is a trip and we're all going through it. And maybe it's more hopeful and meaningful to believe that there is the mystery and that we can use it and that we're a part of it too. And all of these things, again, can occur in nature. So the invitation here is not necessarily to get online and find yourself a vision quest as fast as possible. It's hard to justify taking seven or eight days off work. It's to ask yourself, how good have I been recently at connecting with nature? And we can do this on a very micro level of being a bit more intentional about getting outside each day to view that natural light. And yeah, we know there's all the health benefits, the circadian rhythm and the grounding, but also just this, this remembrance again, being a little more human, you know, so putting our feet in the grass or taking the weekend trip to, to go to the ocean and swim and play, or maybe putting it on your calendar for once a year to go and do some strip back camping, you know, and don't take the Bluetooth speaker and, and don't take the books and just take yourself, take you and your butt and sit down in nature and sit on a rock and watch the water pass you by and see what happens. And I'll close with just a couple of tangible things that you can do, some practices that you can take into life that don't require you to cross state lines or go to a different country. There could be something if you can find a little trail by you this weekend or next or whenever it calls to practice these things, these little ceremonies, if you will, these little initiatory experiences. 
And if we're thinking about the earth and we're thinking about nature, it's natural to think about the elements sometimes. And these are very cool things to work with. So the elements being fire, you could work with fire, something that's very helpful for humans. I've used this and a lot of my clients have used this in the past is to use the fire to help you burn away, you know, the stuff that no longer serves. And a lot of time what causes stress in our lives is relationships and past traumas and the fact that we're having a hard time forgiving someone or we want to say something that our words can't speak but we could write and we could write that letter to that person that we want to say what we want to say even if that person's not still here and then we can burn it and it's a very powerful ceremony of, of moving stuff through us um, that, that kind of wants to be let go of that if we don't actually have an intentional act to do that that kind of remains stuck in us and will show up as patterns or you know getting getting stuck so you could work with the fire you could be with the fire and there's a something about humans that like being around a fire i don't know if you felt that recently just whether it's solo at night under the blanket of stars pondering the mystery of life and being accompanied by a grandfather fire of just sitting there it's an ancient ally it's kept us safe for a long time or gathering with friends and seeing what kind of conversations happen around the fire. They're usually much richer. They're usually much more serious. It's not the same kind of conversations that's going to happen in the bar at midnight, right? It's a very different kind of conversation. So think about the fire. You know, if you only live in an apartment and you can't have a fire pit, then light a candle once in a while and just watch the candle and do a candle meditation of just following the flame or write that letter and burn it, all these other things. Water is another one. I mean... We know that the body is mostly water. The land is covered with mostly water. Every time we take a sip of water is a chance to practice gratitude. Something, again, that we take so much for granted. Oh, it's just water. You know, How often do we stop and think about the water nourishing our bodies and keeping us hydrated and giving a little nod to that and thanking ourselves for it? Or just being a little grateful in the shower of taking a wash and having a moment to celebrate. Oh, this, this shower thing is really nice. And I'm washing this body, this body that does so much for me. Even if I'm not that kind to it sometimes because I judge it and I say mean things about it, that the body just does everything for you, everything for you unconditionally. And we can celebrate that by nourishing it with water or cleansing ourselves with water or actually doing something like a water blessing or a ceremony, you know, where you could take water from a river or from the ocean and you could ask yourself what you could do with letting go of, right? What could you do with washing away right now? And hold that in your mind and you know you've been carrying that thing that self-doubt that fear or that resentment that anger that inability to forgive and you can decide with this moment that you could wash it away you've dumped that water on your head we were doing that in the very icy cold lakes is very refreshing and very empowering to use the water and the breath the air the air element of the winds the winds that whisper the winds that are our breath that our breath is our teacher we could do breath work, very simple, box breathing, 2x breathing, our breath work ceremonies. Meditation is uh, the OG form of breath work to really just train and use the breath as helping us with that presence because that presence is superpower. And last but not least, the earth of which you are made up of and remembering that by getting in and on the earth, you know, burying your toes in the dirt, crawling around and playing and moving this body and interacting with the earth being out in nature going on the hikes earthing lying on the sand swimming in the oceans jumping on the stand-up paddle boards and being in the earth and 
one of the things that I, I, I really like to do, and we did this on retreat and it was powerful, is to do something called a medicine walk or a soul wander. And what this basically means is you go to a place that feels nice for you. It could be a forest trail or something. And you go um, to wander. It's not a, I'm going to go on the trail that's five miles. It's not a, I'm going to make it to this point. It's a wander. And it's a soul wander. It's not an ego wander. It's not a head wander. It's not a, I'm going to think about where I need to go and I'm going to get there as fast as possible so I can post it on my Strava and show off to all my friends. It's actually slow. It's intentional. Maybe you don't move much at all. Or maybe you wander for two hours and you find yourself at a spot where you were called to go. And in that spot that you can know you were called there for a reason. And that's a chance to commune with the land and present yourself and ask questions. And remember that we call it Mother Earth for a reason, because it's the mother of mothers. It's the birthplace of all life. And as the mother, it does the best job ever at being the unconditionally loving and accepting entity, a place that holds space like nowhere else. And you can take everything in life and Mother Nature will hold it for you. And you can ask. And when you ask, you'll receive, you know. So you could try something like that on a local trail and just trust. Trust that your intuition will guide you to where you want to go and get to go. And wherever you're pulled to go has something for you. And that, again, is a little bit of the mystery because you won't know what that thing is, but you'll feel it. And the more you can connect to this feeling body, the more you can develop a relationship that's not so heady because we're really good at the head stuff already. We've been practicing that for a long time but we can develop this new language of the body, the nervous system, the gut, the intuition, the feeling, that that's the integrated person, that's the holistically healthy person that can have both, you know, the cerebral mind, the logical mind, the, 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 the clear thinking and the logic, and also the intuiting, feeling, sensing body, the emotionally open body. So there are some ideas for you to take into nature as well and practice your own little ceremonies, your own little rites of passage. So I hope you enjoyed that. Um, and I hope that those stories inspire you to seek a little bit more nature in your lives because I think nature is very healing for us and uh, it's our opportunity and responsibility to treat it well and remember that we are connected to nature. We are not separate from it. So go get yourself some nature, my friends. Go get yourself some nature. And of course, now we're moving into our guest caller for the day who uh, has a question here about using things that come from nature. So Kylie, are you on the line? And let's have a chat about what you've got going on here and see what we can do for you. Hi, uh, so happy to be on here. Um, I just wanted to start by saying I love the animal-based lifestyle. Um, it has been a life changer for me as a mom with three littles. Um, but with that being said, I wanted to know what your opinion is on herbs and plants for medicinal purposes. Yeah, cool, Kylie. Congrats on introducing your family to the animal-based lifestyle. It's, uh, it is a true blessing. Um, nothing's greater than a healthy family, so celebrating you for that. So as for your question, um, th this is something that, I actually like, I, I think viewing plants uh, somewhat more medicinally than as food is a cool way of reframing it. We, we kind of know, especially if you're familiar with the animal-based lifestyle, that a lot of plants we would say might be survival food, like fallback food. And the foods we prioritize are the animal-based foods that, that nature provides. And then the 
plant offerings like fruit that nature provides that want to be eaten. And that these other plants, whilst they maybe aren't necessary for an optimal diet that we want to include a lot because of issues that we run into with plant defense compounds, etc., can be used in an intentional way medicinally and have been done so for millennia. You know, there's plants that soothe wounds. There's plants that indigenous cultures use to heal gut issues. There's plants that concoctions have been come up with, um, you know, that help people breathe better, heal better, think better, etc. So I think there's definitely a time and a place for this, but I'm also curious as to what the context in you're asking about here is. It, is it for a particular reason? Is it for a certain, you know, objective or goal? So tell me a little bit more about that, Kylie. Um, so honestly, I don't need any of the herbs or anything like that right now. Um, but so my youngest is 10 months old and I had went through some postpartum anxiety. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I was trying to heal through that, um, I was just trying to figure out how to help this anxiety and all these different things. And I did take a bunch of different paths to figure that out. Um, so like one of the controversial herbs is ashwagandha, mm -hmm. um, specifically. So I, you would probably ask about a population. You would probably get 50% of people saying it helps them with their anxiety. And then there's 50% of people that, um, uh, it actually made things worse. Yep. I have used ashwagandha in the past and it worked great, but then this time around it made it worse. So I, and I know things will probably work better for others than they will, um, for some people, but that's what I was curious about. And then, you know, I have kids, so cuts and bruises and bug bites using plants for that. Um, but more specifically, like people who maybe are using like pharmaceutical drugs or they're a lot older and need, um, just more help as they switch to an animal based diet. Yeah. Um, I know herbs can like assist in some of those things. So yeah, very cool. Just a general curiosity. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. And if if we're looking at plants and these you know plant compounds as like medicinal, not necessarily as a staple of our diet, that, then then it is interesting because if we just look at medicine as a conventional like allopathic model of medicine, so an antibiotic or a a steroid, etc., then we we know quite clearly that some people are going to have bad side effects to that, right? And they have to switch medications or they get on this one medication and it helps with this thing. But by being on this medication, six months from now, they have a new subset of situations and symptoms that now we need to throw in another. And that's why people end up on a cocktail of medications. So whilst nature is almost always going to be superior in the sense of being something that comes from the earth and the earth-grown nutrients are likely better for us in many instances than synthetic lab-made instances. And certainly, of course, there's time and a place where you might need some penicillin, right? Because your leg might fall off from infection. So we're not saying here that, you know, some oregano oil is going to cure the wounds. That's where modern medicine and the balance of this can be amazing. 
but that looking at you know plants uh, medicinally can certainly be contraindicated for certain people because to make blanket statements that ashwagandha is going to help every single person with anxiety when you know and you've experienced that at certain points in your life it helped and at certain points it made it worse and that could be the sourcing and that could be what else was going on and that could be the level of your gut healing at the time the phase of your life that we have to be open to the possibility that blanket statements just usually get us in trouble that there's no miracle cures and that like being in a doctor's office if you had a bad reaction to a medicine they would probably get you on a different medicine that we can look at plants in a very similar way but like you rightfully say with things like ashwagandha or topical ointments and you know naturally occurring aloe and essential oil-based cleaning products or mushrooms is a very popular one here right the adaptogenic medicinal grade mushrooms lion's mane you know that can enhance brain and neuron transfer in in the brain the cordyceps mushroom which has been shown to help with atp production but does that mean we should take them forever all the time always or are these medicinally upgrading our systems to the point that we can heal and then we use them when necessary we use them in conjunction with the foundational layer of things like an animal-based diet and keeping stress in check and sleeping well and sun exposure and then when we need a little support because we live in a very toxic world or we get cut or where we get an infection that we can turn to plants and look at these things like we get a gut infection and we might look at something like an oregano oil to see if we can use its anti-parasitic effects and uh, we might want to use nature's antibiotic which is forever being garlic when we feel ourselves picking up a little cold we might want to lean on some extra vitamin c in that situation and when we've got a cut do we want to get the bacitracin which is more of like your cvs fix or do you want to find a topical ointment of things that are derived from herbs and nature and if we're trying to detox heavy metals do these greens help things like cilantro etc because there's definitely some compelling evidence there but at the same time, we have to just understand that with all things that are powerful immunomodulators, the, the dose makes the poison. And that's something that we really need to just listen to our bodies and be aware of because the dose for you that might be healing might be slowly hurting another person. And that at different points in life, the same thing that helped you is now hurting you. So, you know, to, to answer your question, I really do think that there are some medicinal properties in plants that can be incredibly beneficial on the healing path and that plants are medicine more so than they are food a lot of the time, but also keeping an open mind that, you know, it's not always the same for every person. What worked for you might not work for another because we're as different on the inside as we are on the outside sometimes. So I hope that helps and, I, and I'm glad that you're looking to more natural um, solutions as opposed to more classical pharmaceutical solutions. Does that kind of answer your question and give you something to think about, Kylie? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I've always been health conscious for the longest time, but it wasn't until about, like, I used to think things were like spinach and, you know, all the vegetables were good for you until mm -hmm. I found the animal-based diet. And um, just, it really turned my world around. And I just can't believe how much better I feel on an animal-based diet. But with that being said, yes, you know, you hear things about, you even said it, the cilantro to detox heavy metals, because mm -hmm. we know we're kind of being bombarded mm -hmm. with toxins from all directions, you know. So, yeah, that you answered it. You nailed it right on the head. So I really appreciate that. Awesome. <laughs>
Yeah, and we appreciate you calling in, Kylie. It's a really cool question. We're all learning. That's the one thing, right? Again, nobody has all the answers when it comes to diet and this ancient use of, of plants as medicine. We've only got what's been documented and what we're learning and what we're going to continue to learn because I think we're just scratching the surface of the understanding of all of this stuff. So thank you for being the citizen scientist as well and applying this stuff and testing this stuff and getting healthier. Appreciate you calling in, Kylie. All right, friends, that is it for the show today. I hope you're all jazzed up to look at your calendars, book a trip, or go find a local trail by you for this weekend. Go do some wild camping or take your hammock and go swing in the trees. And remember that this conversation, whilst it was a little more in the lifestyle and bored the esoteric sometimes, is just an extension of an animal-based way of life, which is to use what nature gives us, right? To use the food that nature gives us that makes us healthy humans, and also to use the earth and the nature that nature provides so abundantly to heal us in a slightly different way, maybe a slightly more holistic way. So if you're nailing your diet and you're moving and you're doing all the stuff, and you're feeling like something is still not quite clicking and something is still missing, then maybe a little retreat into nature will show you the puzzle piece and, and it will give you the key to that lock. So I uh, appreciate you all for listening as always. And we will see you next week, fam. Stay radical. All right, friends. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Radical Health Radio. We got a fresh new podcast for you every Wednesday. If you enjoyed the show, consider liking, subscribing, reviewing, and rating us on your podcast platform. It helps to spread this message of radical health. We'll see you next week.